Home is a member of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. To learn more about this great family of shows, visit boingboingpodcasts.com. And to learn more about this show, visit homestories.la. That's where the show notes are. You can subscribe to the newsletter. There's lots of background information on the episodes, homestories.la. One program note, this is the last episode of Season 3. I'm going to take some time off, recharge, start developing some new stories. We'll be back for Season 4 in October. See you then. What happens when you bring a kid from the other side of the world into your home? Forever. How does it change what home means to her? And to you? It was sort of a combination of factors that led me to think, like, oh, this seems, you know, good. And I think also maybe a little overconfident in my ability to parent. <laughs> this week... Okay, you ready? Come on, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Making a home for and with Moret. This is Home, Stories from L.A. I'm Bill Barol. In 2010, Jamie Goodrich, the entrepreneur behind a national chain of canine agility centers called the Zoom Room, was looking at the end of her marriage. This meant, well, it meant a lot of things. One of them was that her son Meyer, a happy and gregarious kid, might well grow up without a sibling. Jamie didn't like that idea much. She has a brother and a sister. They'd grown up together in L.A., the children of NBA Hall of Famer Gail Goodrich, and she wanted the same thing for Meyer. Siblings are great because you go through life with your sibling, you know, beyond your parents. And so part of it was driven by what I wanted for him, and then part of it also was driven by the fact that I really love kids. And I felt like I was a good mom. I was in a position where I could, you know, care for another kid. And I was really touched by older children. And that's a big thing in adoption is that they basically say that once you hit five, it's a death sentence for an orphan. Nobody wants the five-year-olds. Nobody wants the six-year-olds. Nobody certainly wants 10 or 11-year-olds. And those kids just sit in orphanages for years. So uh, I really felt like the older kids you know, our kids too. And, you know, why shouldn't they have a chance just because they're older? And that's sort of how I ended up in older child adoption. It sounds a little like another country when she talks about it. And in some ways it is. It's metaphorically a trip to a country with its own rules and customs, a trip that can take years. She spent two years thinking it over and researching, another two winding her way through the formal adoption process. And at the end, it was literally a trip to another country. Ethiopia. It was June of 2014 when Jamie arrived at a care center in Addis Ababa to meet her adoptive daughter, Moret. Things didn't exactly go according to plan. There's all these videos posted on YouTube about 
you know, these adoptive parents meeting their children for the first time. And, you know, they're all driving in the cars and, you know, they show up at the orphanage and somebody meets them and, you know, they bring out this kid and everybody's crying and praying and the kid is hugging them. And that's in your head how you think it's going to play out. And in my case, um, no one had actually informed her that I was coming. And so I got to the front gate and no one opened the door. There were no adults. So the driver opens the door, and I'm surrounded by about 25 little kids, kids of all ages, up to about age 13, 14. And immediately two or three little toddlers start climbing up my legs, and everybody's screaming, Fadinch, 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 which means white person. And then they started asking me, you know, Mom, 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 Mom. And you're looking through them, and you're trying to find your kid, and they are all waiting for you to say, I'm your mom. And in fact, Marette wasn't anywhere in that crowd. I had to go searching for her. She was off somewhere doing something else. And she took one look at me and walked away. The adoption agency had told Jamie Marette was four, but the record keeping was sketchy and the paperwork was unreliable. She was really five and a half. She weighed 29 pounds. Uh, you just, you think, oh, that's not how I expected this to go at all. And so then I sat down with her upstairs and they sort of explained what was happening and she was terrified. And then I brought out some candy and things got a little better, but she wouldn't look at me, talk to me, didn't want anything to do with me for at least, I would say, a good 48 hours. And I had a much different situation because I was there at the care center every day for 10 hours a day. I was eating lunch with the kids, I was playing with the kids. Um, so the kids all got to know me pretty well, but she kept her distance for a good, good two or three days. Eventually, Jamie managed to get Marette on a plane for the States. It's hard enough to travel with a six-year-old uh, on a 37-hour journey. Not to mention one that doesn't speak English, that isn't bonded to you, that doesn't understand anything you're saying, and that has chickenpox and is running 102-degree fever. So... You know, she was a mess pretty much the whole time, and I'm dosing her up, you know, every four hours with Advil and Tylenol and switching. And on top of that, once I picked her up from the orphanage and the adoption was complete, I knew that she had had some dental problems because um, two of her, her canine teeth, her baby canine teeth, in the pictures that I had seen, they were missing. Well, it turns out that she hadn't had her teeth pulled out. They were ground down um, from decay. And her entire mouth was infected. And so what ended up happening was she had um, 15 or 14 teeth that were completely decayed. And it was really painful for her to eat. And in the two years that she was at the American Care Center, she had only gained like five or six pounds, which they were feeding the kids well there. And it turns out that she only gained five or six pounds because she couldn't eat anything because her mouth hurt so much. So on the plane ride home, she started to have a problem with one of her teeth that was kind of loose and really painful and really infected. So um, we were en route, we made it to Turkey, and then from Turkey to LAX was when things started to get really bad. So I ended up having to borrow some floss from these Mexican nuns who were you know, sitting across from us, and thank goodness I speak Spanish, and they were very nice, and so ended up actually pulling out one of her teeth in the back of the airplane during this flight, and it was it was kind of horrible. Um, 
So then we got home and it was actually kind of a relief to get off the plane. So there Marette was, in America. She didn't speak a word of English. And she had a new home, a new mom, and a new brother, who had mixed feelings about the whole deal. Yeah, it was hard on him at first. He liked the idea of, of having a sibling, but the actual reality day-to-day was hard for him. Um, and I think it's still he struggles a little bit with it. You know, he, he struggles with having a sibling because it's, you know, less attention, less focus, more conflict, um, kind of all the things that go on with having a sibling. I think like any kid that, you know, has a younger brother or younger sister sometimes feels like, well, gosh, I wish I was still the only kid. Um, and I think that's kind of normal and hard. For her part, Moret liked Meyer fine. He was four by then, a kid with a big personality and a high voice, which tickled her. But she was terrified of the dogs, absolutely terrified. And then it also turned out that one of my dogs is, or was, racist and wanted to eat her as soon as she walked in through the door. So that was terrifying, and he ended up spending the first couple days outside um, because every time he saw her, he went on full-fledged attack mode. So um, the dynamics of the household really changed immediately, and it was a pretty rough three months, I would say, coming home. I asked Jamie if, in her secret heart, she ever had moments where she thought, holy cow, what did I do? Oh, yeah, every day. Um, I would... I had taken some time off work and there were times where, you know, you just sit and you have to go minute by minute. You couldn't even look beyond 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes because everything is real and it's intense and it's just trying to take care of needs that are immediate. Nobody ever taught her how to behave and they were basically taught how to behave or there was physical violence towards them. And so you put a kid like that into a situation where all of a sudden there isn't this threat of being hit or, you know, sequestered in a dark room by themselves or, you know, this kind of very, very corporal punishment that is prevalent in these um, places. And it becomes a huge testing ground for what can I get away with, you know. And so a lot of the first couple months with her were setting limits. And she would push every single limit to see where that limit was. And um, I found myself being really strict with her in a way that I would never have to with Meyer. It was about three months of this, Jamie recalls. Moret feeling her out, Meyer being a little sad, before they had a day that felt kind of normal. And even then, it wasn't 100% normal. (laughs) But it was the new normal. And so it was okay, there's no screaming, there's no throwing things, there's no temper tantrums. When she first came home, she would get so mad, she'd start throwing anything that she could get her hands on. And I would just hand Meyer an iPad and go outside and with her and sit there. And I just locked us outside. And we would just sit outside, and she would kick and rage and scream. And, um, you know, I had lots of things that she could kick in and throw around outside. And we would just sit outside until she calmed down. But there was a lot of that. So... Um, It was like dealing with a two-year-old that didn't speak any English all the time. And 
Um, finally, it got to the point where, you know, we could sort of kind of slip into this little normalcy. But, you know, there was a lot of charm in her experience of America. And, uh, you know, one day we went out to the backyard. We had a, a bunch of chickens back there in a chicken coop. And she had she thought it was hilarious that in America dogs wore clothes. Every time she saw dogs wearing T-shirts or jackets, she would just explode laughing. She thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever seen. And it probably was the funniest thing she'd ever seen. And um, we went back there, and all the chickens were kind of huddling together. It was a cold night. And she looked at me, and she said, Mom, America chicken, no jacket? You know? And and so it was just a sort of charm of like, you know, wow, this kid is experiencing these things that we think are completely normal. And she has no frame of reference for any of this and has basically come from Mars, you know, for lack of any other term. Like, she's come from the middle of nowhere, and all of this is new. And um, all of this is is funny and interesting and and scary. And um, so getting to experience the newness was really uh, gratifying and would make up for some of the chaos that sort of descended upon the house. Eventually, Marette started school. Jamie admits to a huge sense of relief when Marette was out of the house for a few hours a day. She was fried. She thinks her parenting may have improved some around then, if only because she was a tiny bit less exhausted. But there were still things to work through, every day. And now Jamie was starting to see in Marette the first faint glimmerings of an American kid, with everything that entails. The first thing came with the shoes. So in Ethiopia, she'd never owned a pair of shoes before she came to America. The orphanage had um, sort of community flip-flops or Crocs, and they would, you know, leave them outside the door, and you just kind of grabbed whatever pair of shoes were sitting there and to go outside. So she began to really like shoes and clothes. And so once we kind of got, you know, oh, look at all these pretty things, she's very girly. And so she loves things that are fancy and, you know, she really, really became, I mean, kind of materialistic, (laughs) to be honest, uh, about clothes and shoes. And I kind of get it because she never had any of those things. She never had her own clothes. Jamie thinks a lot about the questions this sort of evolution poses, about assimilation versus the Ethiopian identity that every day seems a little more distant. Well, for me, I think it's more important for me to have her feel Ethiopian than it is for her at this point. Um, One of the things that disturbs me is that she's lost her Amharic very, very quickly. And, you know, that happens with kids when they, it's not only a second language acquisition, it's the loss of a first language. So that, you know, if her mom had moved here with uh, her, you know, she would still have Amharic, but... um, but nobody was speaking Amharic to her, so it's gone. And so it's astonishing to me that, you know, she's nine years old and she can't speak a language that she spoke for six years of her life. And so that's been a challenge to try and keep that up. Um, we're probably going to have to start going to Amharic classes. For me, it's very important that when we go back and visit that she's able to communicate with her family. In the meantime, though, Jamie, who was once a prep cook at Chez Panisse, She's landed on a more immediate way to keep Moret's Ethiopian culture alive in the home that now belongs to all of them. Hi, this is Helpinio, 
and then you need to cut, cut inside, or you can just take it out. Right. Well, how do you say jalapeno in Amhara? Um. Do you remember? Wait, no. Cadia. Oh yeah, this is called Cadia, and it's African way. A big part of that is she really likes to cook, and I like to cook, so we cook a lot of Ethiopian food together, and I think. I think that's very important for her. I think sensory memories. She doesn't have a lot of very vivid memories of her family there. She, you know, can talk about her mom, but it's always very vague. She had a grandmother um, who passed who uh, she knows of her, and I think she has sort of an emotional memory of her, but no real clear, distinct memory. And I think that sort of the scent um, of Ethiopia is brings back a lot for her in, an, in, in a positive way. What is this called again? This one's Nijela. This is Nijela. <laughs> At night now, after dinners, there are dance parties. Every night. Moret and Meyer like dance parties. Oh, they're hilarious together. They're actually really good friends, and they love dancing together. They love any kind of performance-based anything. Um, their new thing right now is they're making potions. So there's a lot of potions, a lot of glitter, a lot of things. Um, and, you know, they have this sweetness about them that actually in Ethiopia, it's very common to give the kids, they all drank tea there. And, you know, not green tea, decaffeinated, you know, black tea. Strong black tea with lots of sugar. So <clears throat> that's one of the things that Marat has brought to the house is this love of strong black tea with sugar. And so they have this little ritual that's very cute. They make themselves tea, and they go sit out on the porch together and have tea together. And it's just the sweetest thing <laughs> And I think not something that you would normally see from American kids, like typical American kids. I asked Jamie if, in the quieter moments, you know, between dance parties, she ever thinks to herself, look what I did for this kid. You know, I think that's the expectation that people, um, that people have from the outside that haven't adopted. And it's something that having gone through it you know adoption is a great thing but it's also born out of tragedy and you know no kid that's adopted wants to be adopted they want to be with their birth parents so the expectation of you know doing something wonderful maybe was a notion at the beginning of the process but no longer has any validity at all it's you know she's my kid and this is how it works now. But it's not that I gave her a better life or, or I'm doing something, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, after going through this with her, you know, I wish that she had been able to stay with her mom. You know, she loves me and I love her, but I also think like there's a big part of her that will always miss her mom and will always miss her older sister. And after adopting, you know, an older child, I think that, really more effort needs to be spent on keeping families together, you know, in the best way that they can. And sometimes adoption is the only way. But, um, you know, I, I wish for her sometimes that, that she had not had to be put up for adoption. 
So let's just say Jamie changed Moret's life and leave it at that. And not for nothing. Vice versa. You, you walk into your house and, you know, I never really expected that my house would have the scent. Like if you go to other cultures, you know, there's a different scent, especially if you go in an Indian household, like the house smells like Indian food. It smells like Indian spices. And what was surprising for me was all of a sudden my house became an Ethiopian house, you know. So when the spices are going, it's a very distinctive scent. And you walk in and it's like, oh, this is what home smells like now. This is Ethiopia. Delicious thing to eat on earth. I like it every day in my life. I love meatballs too. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so singing that crazy song. Okay. Uh.